Hello and welcome to episode 94 of the Be Yourself and Love It podcast. This is my appearance a couple of months ago on the Culinary Libertarian podcast with my friend Dan Reed. Welcome to the Culinary Libertarian podcast where the philosophy is free but the food is on you. culinary libertarian welcome back to the podcast happy to have you here happy to be here hello anthony thank you for joining me today on the culinary libertarian podcast thank you for having me just the name of your show makes me hungry it does well we're going to get into that part in a little bit i've invited you on to to discuss depression, which doesn't it already makes me depressed. Um, I've already done a solo episode on depression just from my perspective, which is just, you know, I'm just a guy who's who thinks that I'm going through some phases and, and maybe I am, maybe I'm not, but that's, I think there is a validity in at least acknowledging how one feels and we can get into that part. Um, but I also want to talk to somebody like you who knows a lot about this and has training to talk about this, about, well, about depression. And we've certainly got 20 months under our belt to have reasons to maybe be depressed. Before we get into all that, can you give us a, just a bit of a background about yourself and what your training is in, uh, in this area, how it applies here? Okay. I was born of a meeting, no, uh, um, my name is Anthony Samroff. I run amongst other things, the Be Yourself and Love It podcast, and that is a personal development podcast. One of the reasons why I got into personal development in the first place was um, suffering. Why else? Why bother developing yourself? I you're just fine the way you are. That seems obvious now, but like back when I was getting into this stuff, I was like, what's wrong with people? Like, why don't they care more like about living a fully fledged life, this, that, and the other. But I came to realize that maybe the reason why um, was you can't really judge a book by its cover and just because it looks like people's lives are falling apart to you or they're unhappy or something like that just because they're unhappy doesn't mean they're suffering as much as you are which seems quite ironic because you think if they if they if they're unhappy they're suffering but a lot of people are just kind of they're suffering in comfort and um they're they're used to it or they don't or it's not in their frame of reference to think to do anything about it and for me that wasn't an option it was just too freaking miserable so when I was in my like I didn't feel like I had a choice and um, I couldn't accept the level of suffering that I was experiencing so I read self-help books and I got into spirituality on and off quite on for a while but I found I found the whole new age thing to be a little bit of a dead end as well as when I started going out to new age events I found myself uh, 
surrounded in people who believed all sorts of crazy stuff and it seemed just to be a a gathering place for for people who weren't willing to, who, who didn't who didn't want it to be required of them to like make any beliefs um conform to reality or evidence it's like this one is into channeling the Pleiadians and that one believes in so i i mean it didn't really quite fit in there um I, I'm sorry, I, I, I have not answered direct to your question. Um, basically, when I was studying my undergrad in the humanities, I got into, I was reading self-help books on improving your communication skills, hoping to improve my relationship with my parents. It didn't really help me with that, but it did help me improve all my other relationships. It helped me improve my friendships. Whenever I had a girlfriend, the communication skills I learned were really useful for solving problems. And so I was thinking, well, you know, I want to, maybe I want to do something with this. I learned to listen well and understand people. And that seemed therapeutic. So I started helping people and run workshops. And I thought maybe I teach some of these skills and I was coming to the end of my degree and obviously degrees in the humanities are not really job degrees. I wasn't really ready to be a, um, a writer or anything like that. And I was thinking of what to do next. And I, I liked writing plays and I had some plays put on at the university, but I wasn't conscientious enough. And uh, another reason why I got into personal development, I was trying to find a fix for my uh, lack of ability to coerce myself to do the things I thought I should be doing um, and that was could be quite depressing I thought well if I'm going to be a playwright I'm not going to do a post-grad in playwriting because if I'm going to be a playwright I'm going to need to write like 10 20 30 of these just to get good and since I have to drag myself to the finish line that's not that's probably not going to work for me so the other thing that I'd got good at was helping people so it seemed like uh natural progression to do my postgrad in counseling and that helped me develop some of the skills that i'd learned from my own forays into learning about communication skills so i was already helping people a little bit i thought that would be a good way to legitimate the way what i was already doing and, and learn more and um i became self-employed and got an online presence and attracted clients that way. And in these days, usually word of mouth, being on podcasts like this, or um, usually I just listen and care for people when I meet them as well. And since I, I go to a lot of events and meet a lot of people, sometimes it's obvious that I could be of service to someone. So. Um, if I think I can help someone, I let them know. Um, so yeah, basically, if I hadn't had such problems with conscientiousness, which was very depressing and things like that, you know, I might have liked to do something else. I might have liked to be a piano player, or, you know, even in a, in a bar or wedding band or like uh, write plays or tons of stuff. There was tons of stuff I would I, I would have liked to have done. But um, I kind of got railroaded by my circumstances into this. And in a sense, it's very fulfilling. So 
that's not it, it wasn't I just like it's not like when I when I was at school and the teacher said hey Anthony what do you want to be when you grow up I said I want to be a therapist miss one of the one of the the best skills that I developed through my interest in personal development was the ability to be there for others and help care for them and help them work through their problems especially since I had a lot of experience myself with depression anxiety feeling inadequate shame relationships um lots of things uh, so so that helped me to put myself in another person's shoes and demonstrate my understanding of what they were experiencing which people found to be therapeutic so that seemed like quite a fulfilling way to make a living and it has proven to be a fulfilling way to make a living uh, I want to read a Facebook post that you wrote just the other day, Ooh. and I found it astonishing, but, but not astonishing in a bad way. It's just like, oh my gosh, this is exactly the kind of thing I was talking about. So the timing was rather kind of <laughs> impressive. Um, so you wrote, quote, often when I go on the down wave, I call it, that is to say, a period of low moods and depression, I come up again with new ideas and approaches to tackling long-standing problems. I put this down to the fact that over the last five years since taking up yoga, I learned to meditate and just be with my negative feelings, let them be, accept, and feel them more. I think this helps you process and assimilate what is going on and the unconscious puts lessons together for you. When you distract yourself from negative emotions with TV, Facebook, drinking, or whatever, you perpetuate the loop because you never give yourself space to get to the, to get to the bottom of anything, end quote. That is 100 words of exactly what my episode was about and, and feeling I called it a roller coaster, but you you did it like a surfing metaphor, just the, the, the waves, the ups and the downs. And I think everybody, whether they're depressed or not, feels a kind of euphoria when, you know, everything comes together just right and you're riding on top of the world and then you turn the corner and <laughs> the, the dog has boo-booed in the, like, oh man. Now that's insignificant, but it, it certainly creates the idea that things are good, that things are bad, and that can happen in a moment. Yeah, and of course, your your mood will predicate how you react to the dog do-doing. If you're in a bad place, right. it can affect you badly. But, please, you know, the, the little thing, you know, I remember once I was down and I, um, you know, I don't know, I went through a door and I hit my elbow. And I just felt like I almost cried for the first time I could remember in years as an adult because I felt like I was somehow being victimized. I was like, you're so cruel. I'm down already. You know, all these bad things have happened to me already. And now I hit my elbow on the door. You know, the, the inner child comes that can come out in those moments where you, you're already down or you're already under strain. But please don't let me interrupt you. Go on. There's... I think there's a, one that captures a lot of 
I think a lot of the feeling that probably most listeners would have over the course, my focus is over the last 20 months, because at least in the U.S., but I know in other parts of the, well, most of the world, there has been a, a forced compliance to all sorts of external factors that people really can't control. They have, they just can't, they have to respond and being put into a position where your life is now being, well, the word is mandated. You must do these things. The loss of personal, the sense of personal control has a giant impact on on our view of the world, and then ostensibly, I think that ends up becoming how we view ourselves. And so that's one giant problem. To see if we can make this a manageable giant problem, is there a way for people who are feeling overwhelmed but aren't, they know what the source is, it's the government, it's the Gestapo, it's whatever, it's what it looks like. How do you distinguish from just being blue and mm. feeling down because the dog pooped, which is going to be our running metaphor for mm. being down, to actually legitimately being depressed. And how, with, without getting a clinical explanation and definition, is there some way you know to help people figure out, is there a difference here? That's an interesting question. You know, I'm not a neuroscientist or anything like that. I can't point to depression in the brain. Um, I'm obviously as a therapist, I'm interested in the subjective experience of life. Um, but the thing is, yeah, there, there's so many levels to that question. I mean, do do obviously when we when we feel under pressure, these are stressors for us. When you experience meditation um um you are able to discover a place inside yourself that is peaceful regarding outside circumstances and um i think I, i've got better at doing that for longer you know i was an absolutely terrible meditator stay quiet for five minutes forget it you know I, I always needed to be doing something there always needed to be a podcast on there always needed to be this that or the other the thing is, we I kind of like know that stressing doesn't um, increase our effectiveness at dealing with challenges. In fact, usually it gets in the way. So, the th but the thing is, we are habituated to react. So there is something in the idea of taking this. You know, something wants to rebel and go. The world isn't the way that I want it to be, and therefore, it would be, I, I, you know, I refuse to be peaceful or happy until it is. I'm not saying that we should be like, you know, I post against the lockdowns, I post against this and that and the other, but there's, but I've noticed that sometimes I'm so involved in doing those things that are in power to, in my power to do, that. I'm not depressed about it. Other times I am depressed about it. In fact, I think when I'm actually, I think when I'm feeling depressed, when I'm feeling down myself, as I was on the down wave, as I coined a phrase a few days ago, um, then I start to worry about the lockdown. So what happens, what comes first? 
is it the outside circumstances that are preconditioning your open your emotional apparatus or is it because you're carrying around like an emotion that then latches on to because I, I thought about this myself because I had various problems before um, which seem completely trivial compared to a couple of the issues that um, have come up lately and I, I think well you know I can easily blame the fact that I'm down on a health problem for example supposing someone has one and go well, you know, the reason why I'm depressed is because I've got this health problem. But then, uh, you, you know, you think, well, a few months ago, you found another reason to be depressed when you didn't have the the health problem um, in a lot of cases. So I had a, like, when I was on, when I began my little tour of the USA, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a little bit shocking to think that this event was, may may of last year and we're now in sorry may may the beginning of may of this year um and may june july august end of september but you know even then thinking things will ease up in a couple of months surely and it's still going (laughs) but you know someone I mentioned this, that even though like sometimes I've been stressed and worried about things like in my meditations, like or speaking to other people as well, they seem to be having quite profound experiences. And I was like, I experienced that like a part of me that things are okay. And she said, the, she used the, the term in the, the spiritual literature and she said, this, the peace that surpasses surpass i can't even say that word the peace that surpasseth understanding and i just went that that the thing is that's what we need that's what we need in order to act in order to effectively change the world you need to have your heads sorted if you're to be a positive influence in the world because what is this corona hysteria other than people projecting all their fears onto the world and thinking if they engineer the world and lock everyone up you know they're never going to get sick they're never going to get a virus you know they're not going to die they're that this is irrational you know they they lack i feel like people were just on the edge of their seats anxious anyway they felt anxious already and oh god now thank god i've got i've got an excuse to feel what i'm already feeling but the anxiety doesn't come from what's going on in the world now it's all their unprocessed childhood experiences of trauma this that and the other which is why it's good to learn to just sit and feel your feelings because you said that that's what you were speaking about on your other podcast. If you can't tolerate your own experience, how are you going to tolerate external things that come from the outside to challenge you? You're already finding your own experience of life intolerable. So anything's gonna break you or push you over the edge. There are those who believe that we just basically have a storage of incomplete emotional experiences and that's why we get depressed or anxious or 
because you know your mind reacted to some stimulus in the past and you didn't resolve that and it's still active like um you know like you opens another tab on your browser and another tab on your browser and another tab in your browser until your browser's on overload um you know and you're you're like why won't this application run why is it running so slowly why can't i get anything done so there's a, a view that you know just sitting experiencing feeling what you're feeling is not doing nothing it's it's assimilating those past experiences and and it, it's unpleasant at first but it's kind of like your you know your backyard or garden as we say in the uk you left it and now it's overrun with weeds and thorns and everything and when you go when you say do you know what i'd like to actually have a nice garden when you first go out there it's horrible because you need to take out the trash and you're getting prickled by bramble pricks and the grass is too high and i don't know there's fucking snakes in your garden depending on the climate but you know you start hacking through the grass and you spend some time on your own just feeling your feeling and if you do it for long enough when you go out there that's quite nice to sit in my garden now it doesn't look like such a mess <laughs> the sun's shining i'll get a deck chair you know afterwards if you do it for long enough if you do it infrequently enough like you know i start oh i can't be bothered i put my timer on my phone on for 20 minutes when the 20 minutes is finished i'm enjoying myself so i don't want to stop so i continue for another 20 minutes and then another 20 minutes so it's not the same experience it was when i had to force myself to do it and i need it more than ever when we go through the down wave when we go through the down wave when we are feeling down when stuff's arising from the past you feel sad that that job didn't work out or that girlfriend, that relationship, or you thought you'd be further along in life by now. And it all comes out of a field, an unpleasant emotional emotion arises. And with that, with that emotion arises all sorts of thoughts. So my advice is just to go to the emotion, try and ignore the thoughts. You can't stop thinking but you just make the thoughts of secondary concern and you put your attention on the feeling and just feel what you're feeling. And as I've been practicing for this longer, I find when these downwaves come up, it's it's like I want to, I want to. I don't, like this, this morning I was kind of disappointed because when I woke up, I didn't feel like I had a lot of emotion to lie down and process. Whereas the last couple of days, I. I you know, I had a big long meditation in the morning and I just really liked like just feeling it out, even though a lot of the feelings weren't pleasant. I just liked going into them and investigating them and really deep and, and watching them clear out. So that's like practice. That's not, I, I'm nothing special because as I said, like I couldn't, um, I always had to. I always had to have a busy mind and stuff on. I always need to be doing something. Yeah, but it came to a point where it wasn't sustainable. So with some practice, eh, I noticed. I really noticed the difference this time. This time more than ever on this um, this little downwave, like how deeply I could go and how long I could stay with that. There's in, in in our modern world, and I'm thinking back to when I was a kid. I was born in the mid '60s. 
if, if you were a lucky family, you had a TV. Everybody had a radio. Uh, there was books and newspaper. And then there was outside and toys and, and running and playing with your friends. That was, those were the things that you had to distract you if distraction was the thing you wanted. Now there's no end to the kinds of things you can do on a tablet and on a TV and innumerable choices of content to watch on TV, lots of ways to divert yourself from paying attention to yourself. And, you know, kids playing is fine. You know, they get hurt, they do the things that kids do. And I don't think children are expected to attend to themselves. But we were talking about adults here. You mentioned the garden, and I immediately thought of Jordan Peterson's Go Clean Your Room. Tend to yourself. Now, one of the things I noted in that single episode was when when you go inside to look at yourself, that's a really big risk because you risk finding out you don't like what you find. And, phew, man... So if that's the case, if you look inside and you say, holy moly, I don't like what's in here, now you have two choices. Deal with it or don't deal with it. Mm. The not dealing with the part is easy. Dealing with the part, man, that can be really, really difficult. It's not laborious work. You're not going to start digging dishes with a teaspoon. But to go, to go into... Well, to go into your brain and investigate who you are and then figure out ways to... You can't figure this out. You have to read books about this. Um, Jane Roberts had a book that mm. I read. Um, the Nature, Seth, it's one of the Seth books. I can't remember exactly which one. <clears throat> but it was about figuring out how to do exercises to go inside and look, sort of like look inside your brain, mm. find the beliefs that are causing you to behave in a way that, for your own self, you don't enjoy. You say, you know what, I'm tired of behaving like this, I want to behave like that. So you find the belief that causes that to happen, and you rewrite it. Now, <laughs> nice. man, that takes some serious, serious concentration and some serious, dedicated effort to do that. But once you succeed, you're like, wow, look what I did. So you can, you can become the person you want. It ain't easy. Um, on the point of content, yeah, think about that. You know, in the past, a lot people used to work in the farm or they work in a factory. So they've got a lot of time to just be um, when they're performing a menial task. Everything's going to come out, uh, out if you give it long enough to do so. It can just be that, you know, you'll come to a time where those other activities aren't satisfying. You know, I used to love, when I was a kid, I used to be excited for the weekends so that I could stay up all night and play video games. I've tried to load up video games. Um, I just can't get into them anymore. Uh, even for the last few years, I downloaded some of the, a few years ago, I think it was about four or five years ago, I downloaded some of the games I never completed when I was a kid and I completed them and that felt like, you know, finishing up 
the past and that was good and there was a couple of them I still enjoyed playing but you know eventually I got bored of them too so that the sad thing about that is I can't switch off you know I, I don't love watching movies on my own I feel like if it's a good if it's a sucky movie what's the point of watching the movie and if it's a good movie then I've kind of like you know lost the opportunity to experience it with someone else so so I'd rather it was a social event which is meaningful to me you know to to watch a movie with a friend and discuss it afterwards then even you know the main thing for me has been listening to podcasts and youtube over the last 10 years that's how I learned uh, a lot but after a while it gets to the point where you know the best content is inside and I, I've not really felt like reading that many books on personal development and things like that because they're all the same even when like especially when it comes to the spirituality stuff um it's you know variations on a theme then there's like practical stuff that's come out like um as I, I got a lot from self help books and ed on communication skills but I remember you know a couple a, this book came out by Chris Foss the book on negotiating and I tried to read it but I couldn't get into it because it was like this is something that I'd need to learn in a workshop like how am I meant to assimilate this from reading a book so um and I've got a couple of self-help books on Amazon they're Kindle they're, they're not very they're very inexpensive procrastination annihilation and how to make small talk and they're very for that reason that exact reason I tried to make them very hands-on and practical like do this so that you can learn the technique like you will learn it so that's what I mean it's just like you come to a point where you either come to a point where you need you've got no choice but to learn to go in and be with yourself <laughs> or, or maybe you're lucky and you get ahead of the curve and you and you just decide to start practicing or maybe your experience of life is so wonderful and exuberant that you can't think of anything better to do than to close your eyes and go inside i envy a person like that but of course <laughs> likewise totally because there's that one aspect i'm there's <laughs> who knows what else comes with that package and maybe i don't really want that maybe i'm better off as I am. You know, one thing I think that hasn't changed over maybe forever is the, maybe even to the neighbor level or, or in whatever groups we're running in, this pressure to succeed measured in dollars and things. And, and it's that outward appearance of what you mentioned earlier. Oh, this person has expensive looking things and drives expensive looking car and lives in that really gorgeous house that person's life must be spectacular and it's possible maybe it is but it seems also possible that maybe it isn't and i i don't know how anybody finds a balance or maybe a balance is the wrong word maybe the word is a finds the permission to accept themselves as they are today with the caveat that I don't have to be tomorrow who I am today. I can be happy now, but also want to make change and be happy with the change that comes. And that 
How do you get there? How do you get how do you get to make a change? In what area of your life? In your state of consciousness? Because I mean, like, look, if it's something like communication skills, the good thing about that is maybe you don't have the requisite information. Like, you know, you can pick up a book and learn about that. If you don't know how to make a table, then maybe you can pick up a book on carpentry. You can go to a workshop. You can learn from YouTube. A lot of people do these days. So when it comes to practical things, when it comes to our experience of life, it's hard because that predicates all those things your ability to engage with a from your ability to actually engage and read a book on communication skills to concentrate to make a table or be motivated to get up in the morning and do it or like i'm not really sure i understand the question hmm i'm not entirely sure it was actually a question as much as just sort of a rhetorical observation about how do you how does one not you um Put aside feeling value for the self comes from external observable things. Wearing the right clothes, wearing the right watch, driving the right car. Um, I guess the obverse to that question is how does one find satisfaction in the things that he has, and and I guess that the, the question assumes satisfaction comes from things. How does one find satisfaction in the self today, regardless of the things? And maybe that's the better question. It's it's the question, isn't it? And um, uh, the ancient wisdom is, you know, there's nothing but the present moment. So you just need to, um, you just need to cultivate a good relationship with the present moment. So when you're, oh, you don't feel successful enough, that's a thought. And or and the thought arises out of an energy field, an emotion that maybe sometimes comes and goes. And sometimes you feel like you take that thought seriously. And other times you're just having a lovely cup of tea or coffee or whatever you drink. And you're like, yeah, life's pretty good right now. And you're not worrying about it. So the question is, maybe you, I mean, maybe you do need to improve your material well-being, for example. But the emotion we've not experienced to actually help us do that, although, you know, maybe the mind thinks it does. Maybe it's a protest against reality. Like, you know, um, someone will come and someone will come and save me if I get miserable enough. Um. There's, I'm, you know, ha- however rich you are, the, the, the experience of a cup of coffee is exactly the same experience of a cup of coffee. So, you know, you can't, if you've got a million in the bank, you don't enjoy the coffee more. I mean, this is like the, obviously the logical bit that we can all agree on. The practice, the experience, um, of being okay no matter what. I mean, like, I think maybe if I'd learned that by now, I'd be a lot more rich and successful than I am uh, materially. Um, there's, there's so, there's, 
I guess psychologists have identified those things that, you know, tend to go with with being more happy, you know, connection, friends. Have you got enough friends? Have you got people you can talk to about stuff? Then there's the biochemical basis. Are you eating well? You know, a lot of the foods, um, you know, well, I mean, sugar and refined uh, wheat made from refined flour and what have you these have been shown to affect or everyone knows the feeling of a sugar crash and a sugar spike you know these things affect our moods as well and then you get addicted to them and then you know some people have a couple of glasses of wine every night and they don't know you know that that's giving them some calories and also reducing their general moods um, might not seem much there. I couldn't do it personally. I don't have the constitution to drink every night. If I if I have just a couple of glasses the next day, I really I really feel it, even if I didn't get drunk. So it's like there's what you put in your body. There's who you associate with. There's like major life events, like having a bereavement in the family or a divorce or a change in work circumstances. So. There's there's that what is in our control and that which is outside of our control. And you sort of try and orient yourself towards what is in your control and take charge of that. And if you do a good job of taking charge of that, the miracle is more and more circumstances tend to come into your control the more you look after, like, you know, the more, the better you look after your land, the more land you end up with. The more comes into your power. But usually, like a sense of purpose, for example, I've got a sense of purpose. It changes a lot. I change what I think I should be doing changes, but I always know what I should be doing. Whereas sometimes I meet people who are like, I don't know what I want to do with my life, and it's like, well, it's kind of like no wonder you feel like you're you're adrift if, if you you can just get something small you know something to wake up for in the morning i remember one of the i was going through a, actually a hard time in my life but i just remember it being a good period as well because it was a bad period because i went through a breakup but it was a good period because i had such a self of sense of purpose when i was writing the book procrastination annihilation i knew what i was meant to be doing with my time so every morning i woke up and it was just this one thing just work on the book for for a couple of hours just get the damn thing finished and that was and I, I always remember that those as kind of halcyon days just because I had such a clear sense of what I was waking up for so that helps as well yeah I think that that's a good that's a good point and a, a, a goal no matter I mean I think probably a goal that's achievable even if it takes yeah. two weeks to complete the whole thing like writing a book or two months or whatever. Um, interestingly, you mentioned food, which is, and, and you did write a long, you stole my thunder, you wrote a long post on, on processed foods. Uh, and I did mention some of that on my episode, but I've also talked about how uh, on other shows, the gut microbiome is, is something that is the least understood probably. And I'm, I'm, basing this on things that people who know more about gut microbiomes than I do, which is nothing, have said that there's a lot going on down right. there and there is a gut-brain access. <clears throat> so there's, there is clearly in a relationship between what we consume 
and how we feel both physically and certainly mentally, emotionally, and possibly even spiritually, but that might be another show. Now, you and I, I know, have very different eating plans. Okay. You're, well, speaking for yourself, I am an omnivore. I eat it all, and I know you don't eat meat. You can clarify the details, but even in those diet preferences, how you mentioned sugar, and I agree with you on sugar. What what things for people who say, you know, I think I might be feeling depressed. I might be more than just feeling blue, and this is my diet. Now, I think that there's a relationship to feeling poorly and going and choosing poorly mm. amongst the shelves of the grocery store. Yeah, so you're more you're more likely. It's, it's kind of a self perpetuating to buy the chips and, and, because, <laughs> and the things that are going to exacerbate that. So go yeah, ahead. because those foods that are unhealthy for you are emotionally spa- emotionally satisfying. Uh, and the thing is, there's another thing that may be at play, which is, you know, you feel crappy because you're detoxing. And, and, and that's not like some mystical concept detox. All it means is your cells metabolize everything you put into your body and they create cellular wastes. And if you ask those um, skeptic society people or whatever, they go, oh, the liver removes all the toxins from the body. Okay, well, yeah, that's its job. But you can overload. If you're eating foods that's, that, that are difficult for your body to metabolize, you can overload the detoxification organs, which aren't just your liver but also like you know your your kidneys your colon um your well i mean your whole digestive tract your skin which is sometimes called the third kidney you breathe out cellular wastes for example in the form of carbon dioxide um etc so when you're so what happens is 50 percent of our energy goes to our digestion so you're feeling crappy because your cells are excreting cellular wastes into your bloodstream for exit of the body via the bladder when you go pee and it feels like crap because there's crap in your bloodstream so then you go out and you have a burger and your body switches over from detoxification to digestion oh i feel better after that burger gosh i was so hungry (laughs) you're not hungry You've got enough resort. You've got enough reserves to last two to three months if you live in a Western country. You've never experienced hunger before. You've got an addictive craving. So, so that that's yeah. So that's one of the things with foods like, um, especially like we could talk about meat uh, another time maybe, but especially with the, you know, the factory farms, the conditions that the the meat is kept in now all of the pesticides and the feed that they give them, whether it's corn or um, wheat, stuff that their cows are not really meant to be eating, all of it ends up in the, the tissues, unless you're buying organic grass-fed produce, and then it ends up in you. Um, the you know Roundup, they were telling us for ages, oh, it's not harmful, it doesn't do anything. It's uncontroversial that Roundup's a poison for you now. Here's a news flash. There is only one nervous system in the whole of the animal kingdom, which means that if it's poisonous to an insect, it's poisonous to you. 
So the same goes for this flour. Uh, the white bread that we eat is not the same bread that your your ancestors ate. It's been genetically it, they've, they've created hybrid forms with much more gluten in them. They, they, they remove in order to make white flour, they remove all the good stuff and then they bleach it. They actually bleach it. So and then they make the cakes. So it's no wonder people are getting ill and celiac disease and um, and whatnot. Uh, the microbiome, that's the important part. Um, you're changing your microbiome by eating these foods because you're breeding bacteria that's not as favorable to you. And then on top of that, people take antibiotics, they kill off their um, good bacteria. They're in the gut flora. And then the digestive system can't do the job it was designed to do, which is to metabolize your food. So you're not getting as much nutrients. In addition to that, the soils are depleted and there wasn't that many minerals in the soil in the first place, right? There weren't that many minerals in the soil in the first place. And now they've over farmed the soil and not put the minerals back in. Plus they put pesticides and herbicides, which kill all the creepy crawlies in the soil, which are meant to pre-digest the minerals so that the plant can absorb them from the soil and then you're eating it. So, you know, people have said, I can't remember the exact statistics, but oh, you'd need to eat 12 apples to get what the, the, the insert random mineral here that you would have in 1525, or you need to eat 24 carrots to get the same amount of whatever the mineral that's seen as desirable. So yeah, I mean, that's a, you know, the biochemical element of it is another thing that we could think about. Like um, you'd think in a sane society, right? The first thing that would happen when you go to the doctor is he'd say, right, are you deficient in anything? Because that's, because if, if your cells do not have the materials that they need, then they're not going to, if your organs don't have the materials they need, they're not going to perform their function. That hardly ever happens. That's crazy. You think the first thing is, are you not getting anything that you need? And then the second thing is, are you poisoning yourself? So stuff like sugar, like refined sugar, the FDA bans things that are less bad for you than that. I mean, there's experiments where they they feed anim they fed animals water and water with sugar, and the waters with the water the animals that were fed water with sugar died sooner than the animals that were basically just served water, no calories at all, which suggests that having sugar is worse than having nothing at all. So those are like two. I think like white flour products and refined sugar. And then, you know, the big one, which is difficult for everyone because everyone loves it, myself included. But if you get sick enough, you'll have to cut it out is dairy. You know, dairy is like really, really, really causing havoc for a lot of people. A lot of people are allergic to it, but even people who aren't allergic to it. And they say all these ridiculous things like, oh, it's a good source. Where, where am I going to get my calcium from? All of the countries which have the most dairy intake, which is USA, UK, Sweden, Norway, Israel, have the highest rates of arthritis and osteoporosis. And in like rural China, where they don't have any dairy, and in parts of Africa, where they don't have any dairy, they have no osteoporosis and arthritis. So how can dairy be a good source of calcium? 
It's not because you can't make. I'm going to interrupt and just qualify the dairy that I think you're speaking about is the pasteurized farm chemical of just this this dead dairy product, this dead milk, as opposed to live raw milk. Uh, and I had Mark McCaffey on a few episodes ago talking about that. And for the raw milk folks, there is ample evidence that the the living organisms and the bacteria, the good bacteria, actually help the gut biome and undo a lot of those problems created by our dead raw, dead milk that we buy in the store. That I buy it too, because even in Oregon, it is allowable. <laughs> and it's so stupid to say. I'm allowed to buy it's, it, it's so but sad. it's hard to obtain. I can't go it's, to store. Yeah, you can't even. But anyway, Yeah, just, well, I mean, I, I've... Uh, my view is raw milk is an absolutely perfect food if you happen to be a calf it was engineered by nature to turn a tiny little calf into a great big old cow so i recommend that if you're a calf you drink lots of cow milk and uh, if you're a, a human best avoid however uh, we don't have to debate it now um, and people will can do their own uh, research and make their own judgment on raw right. milk. I will put a link for anybody interested for the raw milk episode on today's show notes page, which is culinarylibertarian.com slash 160. It is true, though, that pasteurizing that, sure. that pasteurizing is a horrible um, process. And like it, it's it's stupid because the thing is, the, the heat that they pasteurize it at is both to is both too hot and too cold. It's too cold to actually kill all path. It's too cold to actually kill pathogens, and it's too hot not to denature all the enzymes in the milk. So, you know, it's like, it's a, it's a, it's 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 silly. It's silly. It's just it's just so that the, it's probably just so that the milk keeps for longer, so they can sell you it for longer. I think that's exactly. I want to go back to that phrase you tripped over, and I'm about to. Peace that surpasseth understanding. What does that mean? Surpasseth understanding. Ironically, uh, it was indeed in Oregon that the that the woman said that to me. In so, what does that mean? That just means that you feel peaceful for no reason at all, not because the external circumstances. Or as you want it to be. I mean, usually our emotions are like our unconscious estimate of whether our circumstances are for us or against us. You know, if the circumstances are good, yay, I got the job. I, I scored with the check. She fancies me. Things are going good. Oh, no, I broke my leg. That's against me. Things are going bad. So the piece that surpasses us Surpasseth. We're going to have to practice this. We're going to need to run <laughs> workshops. The peace that surpasseth understanding. Rehearse it. What was the word that I could never say? Um, oh, there was a word that I, I, I always fucked up. And once my friend got me to just, he was like, right, let's stop, slow down and practice saying the word. And eventually I got it. And then after that, I got it for a while. But I remember a couple of months ago, I tried to use it and I screwed it up again. So obviously my muscles have got relaxed. Um, 
yeah, it's just what it says on the tin. It's like there's no understanding for it because it surpasses any, it surpasses the mind or any form of understanding. You just feel good because you feel good. Um, and, you know, it's believed in spiritual circles that that is when you, when you access your true nature, when you access your true nature, your nature is happiness. Is oh, it's, and then you can, and that you can under, and that you can learn to access it through meditation. Is it wrong to say that that it sounds to me like this is getting to the point of to be, to be? Oh yeah, the experience of just pure where, being. Where wherever you are, whatever whatever's going on for you right now is it, it's it's just this, this is, is just this what is it the is. perfect moment right now. It is what it is. It is what it is. Shakespeare wrote, nothing is good or bad, but thinking makes it so. The thing is, I kind of like maybe at odds with the um, the CBT, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy and all that, because they say that your thoughts create your emotions, but I don't think so. I think your, your emotions give rise to your thoughts. So the emotion is just like, juicier and more deep rooted in your being and when it colonizes you it colonizes your mind and you start the, the emotion starts thinking for you you know you're anxious you look around for things to be anxious about you're sad so then you start remembering all the things that you associate with being sad and you believe that those are the reason why you're sad that you need to be pretty brave to just go i'm sad because there is sadness in me I'm angry not because of what you said, but I'm angry because there's angerness in me. Like, you know, someone pushed your buttons, but your button was already there to be pushed. Right. In fact, I was speaking to one of my clients about this. A button attracts pushers. <laughs> it's, it's somehow people manage to unconsciously scan mm -hmm. you and they find exactly where your button is. And they, like, if they try to do it, they wouldn't be clever enough to do it. But yeah, I mean, there's a good... It's a fascinating point. So yeah. no, I'm just the, the the fact that it exists means it's there to be right. pushed, and I think it's and that's why it's brilliant, and it never occurred to me. And that's a lot of what my meditation is actually remembering things that push my buttons and going in as deep as I can to feel the feeling, so I can deactivate the button. Speaking, you said the feeling of just to be speaking on that point, there's, there's a good book, a little book called pure awareness, which gives some, which is a similar concept to it's the feeling of just being it's very short. It's by Tom stone. And it gives some practical exercises for feeling your feelings and trying to get over your emotional bullshit from the past. Uh, another one is, it's a much bigger book I found quite useful. I listened to an audio book a couple of times. It's called Letting Go by Dr. David, David Hawkins, now deceased. I think it's one of his most popular books. And I think I, I can see why, because I found it, I found it helped me engage with the process of just feeling my feelings and letting them go. Like while I was listening to it, like, almost listening to itself brought me into meditation. Well, that was going to be one of my questions. If you had some books to recommend, and I will put the links to those on the show notes page. In, in the course of your world tour, 
<laughs> the United States and Turkey and Costa Rica and God knows where else. Mexico, just those four. Are there from from the various cultures, and there's some really disparate cultures there. What similar things have you found in these last twenty months that transcend culture that is just part of the human experience dealing with overlords? Dealing and, and with people's managing of that dealing with the overlords. The overlords. Oh, that's so desperate, isn't it? Like some people think this is all bullshit and some people take it extremely seriously and my advice is well everyone's in a bit of an echo chamber i mean my advice is like it's quite good to actually hear how other people see the world you know i i made a friend in new york who's like the completely opposite of my views and on this um I didn't tell her too much of what I thought, but I just, I wanted to know how she sees it because I don't ex get exposed to people with her views in any, in 3D. The only exposure I got was arguing with belligerents on Facebook and that's not the same, but to like hear someone talk about why they're scared, and why they take masks seriously and you know, hear how they frame it. You know, they they isolated themselves. They didn't go out. You know, when it was when the lockdown was severe in New York, they took it seriously, and it was took a toll on them as well. And even though it took a toll on them, they did it. So I wouldn't have got that perspective. And the thing is, we're too typically when I say we people, we're too typical. Uh, we're too inclined to jump in and correct people's facts and tell them why they're wrong, try and convince them of our position. It's a very weak thing to try and convince someone of your position. It comes from a place of feeling like, you know, you're, what, what I mean is it's weak because you're putting power over you in their hands. If they change their position, you're happy. And if they don't, then you're frustrated and angry. So you weaken yourself. It's quite good to just listen and see where people are coming from. So what's the commonality? Is everyone likes to be listened to and everyone likes to be understood. And that's the best lesson I learned from self-help, to be good at demonstrating my understanding, which led to me becoming a counselor. And everyone should learn those skills, not just counselors or phone operators or salespeople who, you know, because it allows you to walk through the world. Like I thought, I realized even if I had no technical knowledge about anything whatsoever and hadn't got any practical wisdom on how to learn life and whatnot, I could still serve people. I could still serve my clients just if, as long as I listened, understood, and then tried to articulate what I understood of what they said, I'd still be able to be useful to people. I'd still be able to be loved and honored by people just because my attention is valuable. So this is like maybe just like it's the same with the meditation, what you're doing, you're giving yourself attention. In the same way you can give other people your attention. 
you mentioned empathy. Right. And I think that that's what you're talking about. And you brought up Chris Voss's book, Never Split the Difference. And in there, he, he, he makes the point that you can have empathy for a person and still not agree mm. with that person's point. Right. There's two distinct issues. And, and, and I'm not entirely sure that everyone sort of gets that. I think for however it came to be, I think most of us think, and I certainly was in that boat, that if I empathize with you, I'm agreeing with your position. And that doesn't have to be true. I can have empathy for your plight and not agree with you at all. But it makes me available to you as a listener. And maybe even with our disagreement on points, we can find some way to appreciate each other as people and still disagree. And that's and that's actually valuable. It's a useful tool to have peaceful disagreement. Yeah, and to, the thing is, your connection with a person is more important than anything else, even if it comes to, you know, you wanting them to change your their your mind if they don't have if you don't have Ackerman or a store of you know goodwill with them then it's hard to bear disagreements and you know but when you've got a store of goodwill there they're more likely to listen to want to understand it from your point of view right I want to move into my short answer part of the show, which has nothing okay. to do with depression. Lightning round. Bang, 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 bang. Sort of like that. Yes, yeah, sort of like that. What's your favorite food? Uh, my favorite cuisine's Indian. Nice. I like Thai. But my favorite food, I don't know. I like, I like, I like a wide range of foods. I'd have to get back to you on that one. Hmm. <laughs> All right, maybe this is easier. What's your least favorite food? Oh, well, I don't like boiled eggs. Um, they kind of, yeah, I tried to like them as a kid, but I just I could never get into them. But um, scrambled an omelet grew on me. Is there any, are there any like absolutely like the foods that gross me out? That was the first one that came to mind, so... Let's go with boiled eggs. Okay. What's your favorite sound? Hmm. Sound. Just like relaxing, ambient music. But your least Which is funny because I, don't put, it, I don't, don't put it on very often. Oh, come on. The, I, do you know what? I really hate these sirens that they have on police cars and ambulances these days. I remember when, or fire trucks, I remember they just used to go, nee no, nee no. But now they have these absolutely hideous sounds like that sound like, you know, an 80s video game where you're like shooting lasers and shit or, or even sometimes in, in laser tag. Like it's like psychological warfare. It's like they're playing these sounds just deliberately to disturb your peace and make you feel bad. You have been to some interesting parts of the world because I haven't heard sirens like that. Mm. Oh, they're really terrible in Scotland. They're absolutely dreadful. Maybe they don't have them here yet. Maybe they're not playing psychological warfare on you in Oregon. Maybe not. Well, they are just different ways. <laughs> <laughs> Not with emergency vehicles, different forms. What uh, What is your, oh, let me back up again. Of the five flavors, bitter, sweet, sour, 
salty, or umami? Which one is your favorite? It's all in the mix, isn't it? It's all in the mix. I can't have, so, so there's no answer to that question. Okay. What is your favorite food indulgence? Hmm, that's a tough one, isn't it? Um, well, the thing is, I've not really got a sweet tooth. I'm not one of these people who, if I buy a box of chocolates, I have to eat the whole thing. One or two will do. So I like something sweet, but it will only be a little bit. Um, Oreos would be like, but again, I'd only have one or two Oreos. Um, I used to like Twix, but I wouldn't eat it now because it's all in the mix. I like I liked when they said in the Twix advert, it's all in the mix, because I used to think that is actually what makes a Twix really good, it is the mix. Kit Kat, Nestle, they're the bad boys. Um, but you know, I like bread doesn't agree with me, so I try and stay away from it, apart from the fact that it's poison. So like for me, I remember like a really indulgent treat was uh, I went down to London and I went. I found this spot, and they brought like this toasted rye bread with avocado in it. That's like my jam, avocado, hummus, stuff like that. Love that little drizzle of oil, olive oil. Not very much because it's overbearing if you put too much on it. Avocado and rye bread sounds brilliant. It was there, crazy just, good. It was crazy good, and Man, and rye bread's the, a good idea. Rye bread's the least worst, apparently. Yeah, <laughs> well, there's there's an argument to be made for using, and you can get old style wheat, heirloom right. wheat, they may call it. Einkorn, that our grandparents, Einkorn and Kamut, there's a few other ones, and once you turn that into a sourdough. The, the process mm. of souring it changes the wheat. It makes it more digestible to the body. And it actually brings things mm. that you're, that's helpful to the body and the gut microbiome. But also it brings flavor. But I, just mm. the avocado and rye, thinking about that combination is just genius. I don't know how I overlooked it. <laughs> Man. Uh, that's like, that's, I, I'm amazed that that's so ingenious to you because you live in Portland. Like, see in Scotland, if you went oh, to no, like no, a I hippie place. Oh, sorry. You, you, you live in wider Oregon. Well, I mean, in Scotland, if you go to like a little hippie hipster place, that is the kind of thing they have. Like, it's not, it, it's, it wasn't a grand innovation to me. It was just, it just happened to be perfect. Rye bread with avocado. I think it is. That may be, that's a, that sounds brilliant. I have to go actually figure out how to do this now because it's amazing. The idea Great. is fabulous. So I have to do it. How can You're welcome. people, thank you. How can people contact you? How can people follow your work? Facebook is good um, to, con to contact me or you can email anthony at beyourselfandloveit.com or, and I've got a sub stack now, although I, I'm just starting to um, to use it. Psychosocial, like psycho is in psycho, social is in social. Dot uh, substack. Dot com. So I'm I'm working on yeah. I'm uh, I'm planning on posting more stuff on there in the future because 
because not everything like yeah because uh, apparently it's a good way to do it well yes and even the world we're in with uh facebook fascist book banning everything and <laughs> everything is covid related no matter what are you the i don't know anything about substack yet does it allow for video because my comment to you about your how to make small talk is i when you put out oh yeah uh some of those videos i yeah oh, man i tell you those were they were short and they were spectacular. It was like, man, these are great. Oh, so thank I... you. That means a lot. Yeah, I mean, I guess people can look up on YouTube then. I've got a whole playlist called How to Make Small Talk. And I have to say, it's good to hear you say that because I've looked a lot of the media on improving your communication skills. And as far as I can see, that playlist is unsurpassed in terms of the practical value. Because there's a lot of theory and philosophizing and blah, blah. Whereas my videos are really like, here's a technique that you can try in conversation and get better at. So I definitely, yeah, definitely recommend that. Um, Anthony Samroff, How to Make Small Talk. If you go to my YouTube channel and then click playlist, there's a How to Make Small Talk playlist. Cool. Well, I will be making notes to add those things to the show notes page. Um, but yeah, I just, I, th and I, if I'm right, it was done at the time when Anthony still had hair. No, I think that was shortly after the hair went. Oh, was it? Yeah. Yeah. It was well, shortly. You, you was... should go find the pictures of Anthony with hair. Cause it's, it's, it's quite fun. Yeah. It was quite fun for a while. It overstayed its welcome. So thank you very much for having me on the show. Greatly appreciate it. Um, mine too. Speak again. We shall. Thank you so much. All right, folks. That's going to do it. I'll add the related episode links to the show notes page and Anthony's YouTube link we mentioned. And that's going to be culinarylibertarian.com slash 160. Also, I'll link to the two books Anthony mentioned. Until next time. Be yourself, but don't just be yourself. Be yourself and love it. <laughs>